Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week it's a conversation about the evolving field of cancer genetics with Dr. Veda Giri. Dr. Geary is the Assistant Director and Chief of Clinical Cancer Genetics at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Veda, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Absolutely. So, I am a medical oncologist, and I specialize in a field called clinical cancer genetics. What this means is that we see patients who have cancers or who are at risk for cancer and who may be um, interested to have genetic testing so that that genetic testing can inform their cancer treatment or also provide them information about risk for cancers so that they can make better screening decisions for cancers. This type of genetic testing is actually hereditary cancer genetic testing. And so what we're actually uncovering are genetic changes that could raise the risk for cancer for an individual or inform their treatment if they have cancer, but also could be passed along in families. And so we talk very deeply about what that means in terms of hereditary cancer risk for our patients and for their families as well. And so many of our listeners may be somewhat familiar with this whole idea of you know, kind of seeing what genes uh, you have and what genes uh, might have mistakes or mutations in them that increase your risk of various diseases. How is what you do different from, you know, going and getting 23andMe uh, and doing your own kind of kit that would provide information? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. So, there are different grades of genetic testing. And what we do is clinical grade genetic testing, which means that we discuss genetic testing with our patients first because an informed decision needs to be made about genetic testing. We talk about the various options for genetic testing in terms of the genes that we can test for, what that means for patients and their families, and it is comprehensive testing, which means that it is the highest level of testing, sequencing technologies to be able to detect genetic mutations in those genes of interest. Uh, typically, these are cancer risk genes. So, for example, uh, BRCA1, BRCA2 are pretty well-known genes for hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. We are not only testing a couple of spots in those genes, we're actually doing full sequencing of those genes and looking for any alterations or changes in those genes to help inform us about cancer risk or treatment for our patients. This is very different than direct-to-consumer type of tests such as 23andMe, where there are only specific areas of genes that might be tested, not a full set of genes that might be important in cancer risk for a particular cancer of concern. And really importantly, this needs to be paired hand-in-hand -hand with a patient understanding about what the results could mean for themselves and for their families. And so who should be eligible for the more comprehensive cancer genetics that you do, as opposed to the 23andMe, which is, you know, kind of an FYI uh, uh, kind of look at, at 
genes and is marketed direct to consumers. So who are the patients should, who should seek out um, cancer genetics? Yeah, this is a, a very um, expansive field at this point in time. There are many patients who, or individuals in, in, in our population who could be eligible for genetic testing. There are very broad national guidelines now uh, that lay out which individuals would qualify for genetic testing. Broadly speaking, um, any patient who has um, ovarian cancer or pancreatic cancer or metastatic prostate cancer, uh, metastatic breast cancer, male breast cancer even, which is rare in the population, um, these are all blanket indications to have uh, genetic testing. There's also lots of other very detailed criteria, but that become important when it comes to family history of cancers. So an individual may not have any of those cancers, but there may be, they may have a lower risk cancer or they may not have cancer at all, but they meet criteria for genetic testing because they have a family history of cancers. So specific types of cancers would be, um, family history of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, uh, colorectal cancer, uterine cancer, melanoma. So thinking very broadly about family history becomes important when thinking about does a patient meet criteria for genetic testing. Some of the key red flags are, was there a, did the patient or a person in the family, a blood relative have young age at diagnosis of cancer? Uh, were there, um, did any relative uh, pass away from a cancer? Are there generations of cancers or specific clustering of cancers that we could see in families? All of this becomes really important and points to one of the key takeaways is know your family history to the best that you can. And that's something that's an education point that we try to tell our communities about knowing your family history. Um, I just want to back up and talk a little bit about what we're talking about here with hereditary cancer testing and why that family history becomes important. We're talking about our genes, and these are inherited in our DNA. And we inherit half of our DNA from our mother and half of our DNA from our father. And therefore, the DNA houses these genes, and these are the operators of our cells. They tell our cells what to do, when to grow, when to die. And if there is a mistake or an alteration or a mutation in a gene, it can either raise the risk for cancers or it can actually um, be important in treatment of cancers or screening for cancers. So that's why these eligibility, who is eligible for testing has really expanded because it's based on concern for hereditary risk, implications for precision therapies, and also individualized um, cancer management and screening. Yeah, and I think another really important point that you bring up is that your genes come from both sides of the family. And so if you have a lot of breast cancer, but it's all on your father's side, that still counts. Um, but the other question that I, I have for you is, what advice do you give to people who don't know their family history, who may be adopted and, and were given no information about their, their birth uh, parents? Yes, excellent question. And we do see lots of scenarios of degree of knowledge of family history. So uh, exactly as you mentioned, sometimes it's because of uh, being adopted and they just don't know their biological family information. Um, sometimes it's estrangement. We just don't know the father's side of the family or the mother's side of the family or different dynamics in a family that really do limit 
um, communication about cancer in families. That can be a really hard topic in many, many families. And so to discuss. So we just tell our patients, let's go with the information that you have. And sometimes uh, it's a starting point when we start meeting with our patients in our genetic counseling consultations, where we meet with our patients and we start with the family history information that they do know. And then sometimes they will recognize a relative that they can go to who may be sort of a gatekeeper of some more information or may know more information about other relatives in the family who have um, cancer diagnoses. Um, And even if they don't, we can still proceed with genetic testing based on the patient's own medical history, the reason for the genetic testing. And as long as that patient understands the implications of the genetic results, we can definitely still proceed with genetic testing. Part of the uh, discussion that we have is even if a patient does not meet um, insurance coverage criteria for genetic testing, and let's just say they are adopted and they meet no other guidelines, out-of-pocket costs for genetic testing have really come down a lot. So, uh, sometimes even typically around $200, $250 out of pocket. That can still be expensive for a lot of people, uh, but it is much better than it used to be. So we work with the information that we have and really important to meet with a genetic counselor to discuss. Yeah. The the other question, when you talk about, you know, the advantages of genetic testing in terms of understanding your risk, understanding the risk to your family, uh, potentially being involved in therapeutic decision-making, those are all really positive implications. But I'm sure that some patients might have concerns about negative implications. Um, They may wonder about whether this information could prevent them from getting life insurance, whether they could be discriminated against at their job. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, the ramifications of genetic testing and kind of the, the legal environment around that? Yes, absolutely. And that's really a big reason to meet with a genetic specialist, um, which could be either a genetic counselor, it could be a physician who has additional training and expertise in having these discussions about genetic testing and the implications for patients and their families. So you bring up a lot of really important things to discuss with patients. On the positive side, the benefits of genetic testing, just as you said, uh, whether the genetic results can help guide treatment for patients, help them make surgical decisions uh, for uh, patients with cancer, such as for breast cancer, um, guide screening, identify additional cancer risks. So for example, a gene itself may not only be associated, for example, BRCA1 or BRCA2 with breast and ovarian cancer, but also with risk for pancreatic cancer, melanoma, Uh, for a male with also with prostate cancer. So really important to understand that while we may be doing genetic testing for the specific cancer of concern, we might uncover many other cancer risks for patients and their families that they didn't already think about. So not that this is a negative, but that it is additional information which a patient has to process and understand and could lead to some anxiety if that about just thinking about those kinds of cancers and how to handle and manage the the cancer risks. So that is one thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that um, the recommendations can be very comprehensive when it comes to uh, patients, especially if a genetic mutation is found. 
The other thing to keep in mind is that we may not always receive clear results from genetic testing. So there can be uncertain findings that we get from genetic testing. They're called variants of uncertain significance. And so that is something that patients need to understand up front, that sometimes we get results that are clear, like a mutation. Sometimes we get results that are clear, such as no genetic changes were found, negative, nothing to be concerned of here. But a lot of times, and, and many, many patients, we get these uncertain findings. And these particular variants of uncertain significance do not impact management. But basically, they're in a gray zone, which means there's not enough information to be able to call them as benign or a mutation. And so the laboratories follow the science over time to get a better understanding of whether these uh, uncertain findings are benign or mutations. And rarely over time, sometimes they do get reclassified to we know more and this is a mutation. And so again, understanding that there could be a, uh, a change in some of the interpretation of the uncertain findings uh, that patients need to understand. And exactly to your point, there are these uh, genetic discrimination uh, considerations that need to be understood. There is a law called the uh, Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act called the GINA law. And this particular law is a federal law that uh, protects patients from discrimination in health insurance, as well as in employment. So employers cannot hire or fire individuals based on um, knowledge of genetic information. There are loopholes in each of these. So it's important to keep that in mind, like small businesses are not covered by the GINA law. But what's important is that life insurance, long-term care, or disability insurance are not covered by the GINA law. So these are all things that patients need to understand uh, before proceeding with genetic testing. And so that's really important, right? Um, I, I, I think uh, many patients may may have genuine uh, concerns about that, uh, as well as their families. Um, so we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. And when we come back, we'll learn more about the implications of genetic testing, what it could mean for you and for your family. Please stay tuned to learn more about cancer genetics with my guest, Dr. Veda Geary. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where their Center for Gastrointestinal Cancers provides patients with a comprehensive, multidisciplinary approach to the treatment of GI cancers. SmiloCancerHospital.org. The American Cancer Society estimates that nearly 150,000 people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year alone. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable, and men and women over the age of 45 should have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Patients with colorectal cancer have more hope than ever before thanks to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for colorectal cancer. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Veda Giri. We're discussing the evolving field of cancer genetics. And right before the break, um, 
Dr. Geary was telling us about some of the laws that protect patients who are undergoing uh, genetic testing from discrimination, but also the loopholes in those laws. So for example, you can't be discriminated against for health insurance, but you can be discriminated against for life insurance or disability insurance. So Veda, my next question has to do with family. We talked a little bit before the break about how the results of genetic testing can have uh, real implications for families. So for example, if I test positive for a particular genetic mutation, then my first degree family relatives may also be at risk for that same mutation. What is the situation in terms of discrimination against people who have not tested for a genetic mutation, but have a family member who did. Um, And what are the implications for that in terms of family members um, who may not have wanted their family member to undergo genetic testing? Yes, these are real ethical dilemmas. And um, there is no clear cut straight answer. Uh, It comes back to having this discussion with trained experts um, who can talk with the patient in front of them about what it means to have genetic testing, what's covered by the federal law, what is not covered by the federal law, and also was the genetic information, if there's a relative who had genetic testing, was that information discussed in the family? Are they willing to share that information or not? There's a lot of um, sensitivities around this that have to be factored into these kinds of discussions. And um, ultimately, we have to you know, go by the best interest of the patient in front of us. And sometimes when a patient comes to us, let's say, who is otherwise healthy and does not have a cancer diagnosis, uh, but is interested in genetic testing, we definitely have to have this discussion about what's covered by the federal law and what's not covered as far as, let's say, life insurance, long-term care, disability insurances. And oftentimes, once a person understands that, they'll put a pause on proceeding with genetic testing and make sure that these plans are in place. So we try to be as clear and upfront as we can about this, uh, recognizing that there are scenarios where the genetic information will have real medical impact. So for a patient who has, let's say, metastatic advanced cancer, we still have this discussion about uh, the GINA law and, and things like that. Uh, but we have to really place that in the context of the patient's medical care as well. Yeah. And I think the implications for family members uh, gets complex as well. So for example, you know, if a patient tests positive for a particular genetic mutation, that may have implications for their family in terms of their risk. Um, And that information might be really valuable to them. It may help them to make decisions in terms of how to reduce their risk. So can you talk a little bit about kind of downstream testing? Uh, You know, do you try to contact family members um, to inform them about results and see if they want to get tested? Yes, very important because it goes back to the hereditary nature of testing. And so when a patient in front of us tests positive for a genetic mutation, they would have already heard the information and understood that there is this hereditary implication. So 
a 50% chance of each child having inherited the same mutation, 50% chance of each sibling having inherited the mutation, 50% chance that mother or father, if they are still alive, um, and then also implications for broader relatives in the family in terms of uncles, aunts, cousins, etc. But really what's important is that we do not disclose that information to families unless given permission by the patient in front of us. And even still, we would not be going to the family member directly. The discussion needs to go through the patient to the family member. And then if we see that family member for genetic counseling and genetic testing, we would need a release to be able to share any genetic results from our original patient to the family member. So it's all under very clear privacy and protection from our initial patient to the family. And it raises the, uh, the very important uh, area and body of research and tool development of how can patients communicate this information with their family members. There's a large body of research that has been done about communication of genetic results from parents to children uh, that is ongoing, uh, also about communication of genetic results, even to adult children and to siblings. How does this happen across genders? How does this happen across generations? What does this mean in terms of cultural differences and barriers when we're discussing genetic information or even cancer information? So these are a lot of areas that we're doing a lot of research on, not only within our research team, but also that is going on by nationally, uh, nationally by investigators. So the, the big thing here is that we would never breach confidentiality with our patient and reach out to their relative without a patient's explicit consent and permission. And uh, this whole area is called cascade testing, which means testing of blood relatives once our index patient has a genetic mutation identified. And it really has to follow along ethical and medical ethical lines. Yeah, I want to come back to um, something we discussed before the break, which was kind of the muddiness of some of the genetic testing results, right? So, you know, these variants of uncertain significance that you mentioned, um, which don't really impact uh, treatment decisions, there are these um, variants that we really don't know. Is this is this normal? Is this not normal. It's one of these gray zones. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about kind of how you follow up with patients with regards to these variants? You had mentioned that some of them get reclassified. Um, I mean, do you, do you keep in touch with patients and do you find out uh, regularly how these uh, variants are, are reclassified? Because that may have implications for them down the line. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so the genetic testing laboratories become really important here in terms of who we go to for our testing practices. We really want to use genetic testing laboratories that have experience and have a really robust what's called variant reclassification program and updates that they give to the ordering genetics teams, providers, doctors, et cetera. So that becomes a really important issue when choosing a genetic laboratory for genetic testing. Typically, the genetic laboratory who has issued the initial genetic result saying that there's an uncertain variant of uncertain significance is going to be tracking the science over time. 
And the genetics laboratory, if there is enough evidence uh, accumulated, say, in two years, what happens is that the genetic laboratory issues an amended report saying, initially, this genetic result was uncertain. We have more evidence, and we now view this, this particular genetic change as a mutation or really in more updated nomenclature as a pathogenic variant or likely pathogenic variant, um, which means that there could be clinical implications for the patient. That amended report gets uh, issued to the ordering doctor or the ordering genetics team, and then the team needs to contact the patient to say, initially, this was an uncertain finding. It's been updated and reclassified to mutation. Please, we'd like to connect with you to go over recommendations and what this means for you and for your family. So we do ask patients um, for when they come in for their initial consultations for their contact information. And we also ask patients to please keep us updated for any changes to their contact information so that we can connect and communicate any updates to their genetic results over time. Yeah, that's so important. The other question that I had was, you know, with this explosion, in the field of cancer genetics. Now, you know, we often will will test people not just for a single point mutation. I mean, sometimes we do, but oftentimes it's it's with a panel. And so do you ever get the situation where you find a pathogenic mutation in a gene that you weren't expecting, uh, where the patient may not have a family history? Um, so, you know, I'm thinking about... Uh, a mutation in CDH1, um, where the patient uh, may not have a history of gastric cancer, but this genetic mutation um, may increase their risk. And we did this panel testing because they have this family history of breast cancer. And so how do you deal with uh, findings that may be unexpected and that may not fit with the prior history of the patient? Does that get to be a little uh, challenging? It does. And it again points to the need to have the pretest genetic discussion, whether it's genetic counseling or really clear informed consent for genetic testing. Um, because there are options on how to proceed with the actual genetic test itself. So we absolutely can on panel testing find genetic mutations in genes that were unexpected. And a patient needs to understand that upfront before proceeding with genetic testing. For example, in the gene that you brought up in CDH1, if a mutation is found in a gene like that, the recommendations can be quite drastic because it is linked with not only a specific kind of breast cancer called lobular breast cancer, but also with stomach cancer or gastric cancer. And so as far as the gastric cancer management goes, the recommendation would be um, meeting with a surgeon gastroenterologist to discuss what's called prophylactic gastrectomy or removal of the stomach. Now, if a patient did not understand that this gene was included in their panel before proceeding with genetic testing, uh, that would be very, very difficult to hear on the back end. It's difficult to hear no matter what. Um, but to have that information delivered on the back end would be very incredibly devastating and really still could be. But this pretest genetic counseling therefore becomes incredibly important. So what we do is we go through 
the genes that were uh, that are important to test based on a patient's medical and family history. And we can customize our panels. So we can think about the genes that are relevant based on the patient's medical and family history. We can expand out beyond that and increase the number of genes that we test because we also know that there can be limitations in knowledge of family history. So sometimes patients want to know more than beyond their family history. And, or we can do very, very large comprehensive panels for genetic testing. And in those cases, the chance of finding a genetic mutation in a gene that wasn't uh, correlated with a patient's medical history or family history does go up. Um, and so as long as a patient understands that, uh, we can customize and go forward in, in several different ways. Sometimes patients are just not comfortable with uncertainty. They're not comfortable thinking about having a greater chance of uncertain findings with the more genes that you test or having, um, you know, these incidental findings come up in other genes. And so then we want to keep the gene panel testing uh, more targeted or guidelines focused. So this again goes back to the discussion with our patients. Dr. Veda Geary is the Assistant Director and Chief of Clinical Cancer Genetics at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers@yale.edu. And past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.